Introducing From the Glove Box, an automotive podcast with Mike and Tony Tavage, the father-son team and owners of Team T Automotive in Northern Indiana. Today we're talking about a split bumper Camaro, how to find the right mechanic, and a lesson learned about tire tread. Hey, this is Mike Tadich uh, coming to you from Northern Indiana. I've been an automotive shop owner, uh, independent automotive shop owner since 1984, almost 38 years now. So we're coming to you with our podcast uh, with my son, Tony. Going to be talking a lot on this podcast about fun, different things and automotive and everything. Cars and business and everything that we do. I was born in the automotive business, so I've been in automotive for 33 years now or since 1988. Um, coming to you from the millennial perspective of a father-son business in the automotive industry. And I can tell you as a dad, being partners with a millennial is a whole nother bag, but it's a lot of fun. So I do enjoy that. One of the best things for us is to be a father-son team in our automotive shops in uh, Northern Indiana. And we're here to, here to bring you some uh, fun. We'll talk about different, uh, concepts, different cars, different likes we have and, uh, Maybe some a uh, little bit of maintenance on your current automobile. So I got a question for you, Tony. Favorite car of all time. Favorite favorite muscle car of all time. Favorite. Let's go even go into favorite American muscle car of all time. What's yours? I would have to say a 1970 and a half split bumper Camaro. Split bumper Camaro. Does everybody know what a split bumper Camaro is? It was pretty rare. Did not have a bumper through the center, through the grill area. So tell us a little bit about that, Tony. So that car uh, was very rare, especially in the 70 and a half. They did not get the car around in 69 quick enough to actually have a true 70 Camaro. So they had to delay the production date to be able to have a 70 and a half, which actually limited the production even more. You could get the split bumper Camaro all the way through 1973, but you had to switch your package to mostly, mostly you had to have an RS package at that point in time. So I like the 70 and a half because it was the first true production of that. I also like the 70 and a half because it had the round rear taillights and they started getting away from that in latter years. You may be able to correct me with that. Well, think about this. Uh, if you've owned a modern automobile and sometimes they come out in September, October, November, like they normally do, but sometimes they come out other times mid-year. We never have had, nobody's probably on this, uh, listen to this podcast has ever owned a an one half car. And that was, uh, that was uh, probably the last time that I know of is what 70 and a half was the Camaro. And that was a really cool car. Tony's right. The round taillights in the back were really cool. The way the grill was this big monster, big open mouth in the middle with the little chrome bumpers on the side. Um, it had several different engine packages. And I mean, that was just an amazing car for sure. Round taillights, round headlights, big open mouth grill. Usually had some type of a cow induction hood, uh, old school cow induction hood. Um, just a really cool setup of the vehicle and everything. You could still get it in a big block at that point in time. It was before the gas crisis that happened in the mid-70s, so still put out a lot of power, a lot of torque, uh, obviously automatic, manual transmission, whatever your pleasure was that way. I would love to have mine with air conditioning and a bench seat. <laughs> yeah, well, that'll lead into mine then. So one of my first cars was a 1971 Chevelle SS. It was originally a 454 car, and it was a 
blue black stripes cal induction hood and it was a 454 big block v8 car but it had a bench seat with a shifter on a column and you always looked at those cars and you think well why did somebody order or make this car in that style well at that time you know the guy still wanted his muscle car but he happened to be married and starting to have children so it's like well we'll get the bench seat and we'll put the kids in the back and we'll have this uh, i'll still have my hot rod so that was that was my second car when i was growing up um it was pretty rough at the time when i got it and it had switched uh, somebody put a small block they blew up the big block but it was a 71 chevelle ss originally 454 black interior bench seat um it had air conditioning tony so it, it did have that i think it had tilt steering wheel um but it uh it was a bench seat car which why don't real, you tell really... our like two or three listeners that we have what time of the year you bought that car and had to drive oh, it home oh god i remember buying it i was probably 17 years old 16 17 years old and i bought it in december in northern indiana and um my wonderful stepfather dropped me off at that house, which is only about three miles away from where I lived. And I had, I don't know, 1200 bucks. I think I paid for that car and he dropped me off with that and he just left me there. And it had these big, uh, like L 60 15s, uh, big white tires and, and mag wheels on it and stuff. And I remember I couldn't get that thing out of the driveway. I couldn't back it up the little hill to even drive it home. It took me two hours to kind of shovel this thing because I bought it with bald tires and um, I think tears are welling up in my eyes, but I bought that thing in December and, and barely could get the damn thing home. So um, it was, uh, <laughs> it was quite an experience right at the beginning. I should have, I should have knew, known right then that it was uh, going to be a little tough uh, car, but it was, it was an enjoyable car for sure. But yeah, it didn't start out real good. Thanks for bringing up that memory to me, Tony. You're welcome. Yeah. I'm, I'm good about that. Uh, and then later in this podcast, we'll be talking about some of Tony's miscues in cars too. So yeah, like my <laughs> 94 Camaro. Oh yeah. Yeah. What quite 94 and a 97. 97. I had two 94 Camaros, one 97 Camaro. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got a ticket in the 94 Camaro before I could even drive without being on the street. Hmm. I don't know if this dad remembers that, but maybe, maybe, maybe he did. The so. sound ticket. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, we'll talk to you a lot about different muscle cars, different things. We did a little bit about us too. Uh, uh, my father-in-law, Tony's grandpa was a professional drag racer, Roy Trevino. Uh, he raced wheel standers, 125, 150 miles an hour on two wheels. Uh, so we go back a long ways in the car business. Uh, uh Big, big time. I mean, my, my father-in-law traveled all over the, all over the world and uh, still to this day runs an automotive shop in Florida. And uh, so that's a little bit about that. But we'll talk a lot about cars for sure. And we'll also spin it into uh, modern cars and what you're driving today and, you know, what are good cars and what are, you know, ways to maintain cars and, and what are ways for our uh, everybody out here listening to us to, to go into service centers and get taken uh, care of the right way. Uh, we'll talk a lot about that as well. Why don't we throw out what we currently own in a muscle car? What do we currently own in a muscle car? I drive a Tundra. I don't think I don't want to drive call a that, Tundra too. I, I don't, don't think, think that's a muscle car. I don't think that's a muscle that car. That doesn't qualify. And, What's it? and you drive. And the second car you have, Tony, is what? A minivan. A minivan, because Tony has four children: nine-year-old, two and a half-year-old, and twin. Uh, twin uh, about twelve-week-old boys you, at this you, time. You messed that up. The nine-year-old just became ten. 
He is so. 10. That is true. Yeah. Just had his birthday. Yeah. So shout out to Luke for sure. Yeah. But uh, no, uh, muscle vehicle that we have right now. Talk about it, Tony. The current crazy trend is to have high-powered pickup trucks. Uh, so we own a 72 GMC uh, that's a, a C15, actually. Very comparable to the C10 that Chevy had in that era. Um, but we've upgraded it quite a bit and modernized it. So it's sitting with a, a LS swap. So it's putting out about 400 horsepower at this point in time and, and is a uh, modern-style muscle car with a pickup truck bed. So... The great thing about that is anytime you have to go pick up stuff, I carried a freezer home in it and stuff like that. You can haul stuff with it. So versus the old school muscle cars, you couldn't haul anything in those. The trunks weren't very big. They they were a little more eclectic in their features and stuff. And the the modern style of a pickup truck is uh, very cool that way. So Tony talks about that GMC, which is this is typical of GMC in the old days. Chevy called theirs a C10, which was a half-ton truck. GMC had to always one-up them because they were the big brother, so they had to be a C15. Um, so, And that's what we have. But that is a pretty cool truck. It's a long bed, uh, eight-foot bed. Um, had had factory air, factory tilt. Um, as Tony said, we put an LS swap in it. Uh, um, done some cool things. It's Flat. got a factory posi rear end. What's that mean? Does it <laughs> leave one burnout mark or two burnout marks? Well, it it's uh what kind of posse is it tony uh, that that's your area <laughs> <laughs> yeah well we'll talk about more about that either but it's uh how we get traction to both rear wheels because uh most of the time we had to order something optional to get both wheels to really uh put power to the ground um i'll those... show my younger age here out of the two of us i'm the only one to do a burnout in it thus far so it leaves two marks on the ground well because i'm getting older and i can't stand to you know waste rubber that much but i like looking at the truck and it's set on air also so we can uh, drop that thing down on the ground pretty low and uh do some cool things got some uh new wheels we just got in i think today yep tires and wheels coming in for uh some 20 inch detroit steels i believe detroit so steel uh, wheels yep. yeah so that'll that'll make a good thing and i know uh i know one thing my uh my son and my grandson enjoy uh cruising around with that hitting some uh car shows in our area so it's a little family project that uh, we get to enjoy together for sure hi um my name is grace and i was just calling because um i'm currently a student and i'm working part-time and my car is getting older i drive a 2006 honda accord and I've been experiencing a lot of uh, repair maintenance issues. And I just want to know, like, how do I know I'm not getting um, taken advantage by uh, local mechanics? I want to take my car in, but every time I do, I always feel anxious about, um, am I spending more money than I should? Um, are they giving me repair costs that aren't necessary? So I just want to know um, what your guys' advice are. Thank you. So I think the question, as I heard from Grace, Tony, is uh, a young lady, um, somewhat new into taking care of car repair on her own. Uh, for everybody out there listening to us, Tony and I and and uh, our family's own uh, independent service centers in northern Indiana. And uh, Grace is wanted, wanting to know, how does she go to a service center, whether it's ours or somebody else's, and get treated fairly, get treated right, um, you know, get get uh, get treated like she should um in in a fair 
uh, fairway and stuff. So she has a good understanding of what her car needs and making sure that she's not getting ripped off. So how would we handle that in our shops, Tony? I think the number one thing that everybody wants in an automotive shop is transparency and trust. So I think when, when you're looking for an automotive shop, you want to feel trustworthiness coming from the staff and everything. I know in our shops, one of the ways that we do that is we send you a digital safety inspection. So that inspection basically comes to you uh, to your cell phone uh, via text message or via email to where you can look at those uh, pictures of your vehicle of any problems or issues that we found. Um, we also show good things. We want to show you that you have a car that is that is worth the investment in everything of, of potentially putting some work into. I think it's just as important to show you the good things that it is, as it is to show you the bad things. Um, the other thing that we'd like to do a lot is we'd like to invite people to the back of the shop. We'd like to show you what's going on with the vehicle, show you around an automotive business, and show you different things that way. Um, why don't you tell them the story of why you, uh, uh, the story of your childhood from your mother uh, moving you guys here um, and, and everything. And, driving a vehicle with California emissions to Indiana. <laughs> that's, that's a good story for sure. So, um, yeah, as I was a young man, uh, uh, born in Los Angeles, California, my, uh, dad passed away pretty young and my mom was widowed with, uh, six children, five still at home. And we, uh, moved from, uh, Los Angeles, California to Northern Indiana. Uh, that's where my parents were planning on moving anyhow. And my mom wanted to continue with that plan, but, what I saw, Tony, was uh, this w with your grandmother and my mom was how people treated her really well in the automotive service business, whether it was a dealership or whether it was an aftermarket shop and stuff. Because she came to Indiana with this car with weird things on it called California Emissions, <laughs> which uh, wherever our audience is, that's a whole different uh, bag than the other 49 states. Uh, but I got to see how... Uh, a woman, even in the 60s and 70s, was treated in an automotive service center. That was a big driving force uh, for me and, and Tony's mom, my wife, Serena, to start our service centers and stuff to make sure that, that we provided a trustworthy, um, likable service center that was honest and delivered good things. So I think as a consumer, you want to have, you want to like the person that you're talking to, you want to have trust in them, and you have to view them as a local expert. Because in modern days, going to service centers, we don't have the ability normally to talk directly with a technician. It's not like the old days when we used to pull up to the gas station and Bob, the guy that owned the gas station, would come out and fill up your car, check your oil, uh, put washer fluid in, change a taillight bulb or whatever you needed. It's not that way anymore. We have people called service advisors that uh, communicate and share that information with that. But I think like in Grace's situation, we want to make sure that there's a comfort level. We want we want to make sure that Grace feels comfortable at the service center and comfortable with the information. And uh, we talk a lot about in our service centers, we have service advisors. Their job is to advise, share information with two clients from technicians um, about how to properly maintain their automobile. It's not about selling them a bunch of service. It is about sharing with them how to properly maintain an automobile. The same way that your doctor would share to you that you need to eat better, 
drink less, exercise more, um, the same things we, we do as a, in our automotive service centers. So I think, you know, across the nation, you want to find that service center that has good communicators that can honestly help you maintain and take care of a shop. And that's what I would share with Grace is find somebody um, in your local area that can provide that and that you have a trust level. I also think um, as a going into the service center uh, thing, find one and stick with that one. Because if you jump around, nobody really gets to build a relationship with you and you don't get to build one with them. And that's always a bad thing. So if you find a good one, stick with them, you know, and, and work, work through that. And then you have a good trust level and you have that person that uh, will take care of you at your, when you need service and repair. That brings up a great point too, because when you stick with a service center, it keeps all your records in one spot. That service center knows exactly what you're going through, exactly what's been done to your vehicle. Your exact history understands your vehicle. Because here's the thing, one of the things that we discuss with clients is how long do you plan on keeping the car? If, if for Grace, if this is a car that you're only going to keep, you know, maybe another year because it's your first car or your second car um, and you're going to graduate college soon or, or what have you that way, you know, we, we, may, we may advise you differently on how you upkeep that vehicle versus if. I, I had a client tell me a couple of weeks ago, tell me, I want to keep that car until 300,000 miles. I'm going to give you different advice to be able to make that car last 300,000 miles than I am somebody that only wants the car to stick around for another six months or 12 months. So when you stick with one shop and you understand things and you build that relationship deeper, it, it, it allows you better service that you're going to receive for that vehicle. It allows your vehicle to maintain a longer period of time and it allows you to concrete that relationship. And, and that's a great point. And, uh, you know, we'll get close to wrapping up this segment, but Tony talked about one thing, share with the service center you go to, what is your plan for the car? Because if you're in the 35th month of a 36 month lease and you know, every three years you're going to get another car, then share that with them because there's no use talking about a bunch of services. Conversely, if you've got a car that's got 120,000 miles on it and you want to drive it, like Tony said, till 300,000 miles or 400,000 miles, a great service center can help you get to that. And we can show you ways that make it make it make that last for that period of time. But I would always share with, uh, you know, what is the intent? How, how long do you plan on keeping this automobile? And I think your service center can provide that. The other quick thing I would add with that is understand modern automobiles our grandparents and maybe your parents out there threw away a car at a hundred thousand miles or they were doing a major engine rebuild and modern automobiles can last you know 250,000 300 400 even 500,000 miles with proper maintenance without every any big catastrophic things happening now it does require maintenance just like it does with our human body that we have to you know, exercise and maintain and do things, but there is a great opportunity. So if you share the plan for the car, like Tony shared with you, um, it really helps a service center dial in the types of services you need to make it last as long as you want it to last. Hey, here's a segment for you called driving the discussion. So 
we'll get uh, we'll talk about different subjects uh, you know every podcast and uh, share with you some information but we're going to talk about tires and traction and uh, that part of life and stuff so um, you know the the only contact between your automobile uh, and the street is tires and what kind of tires and stuff and boy now you know we have multiple different sizes of tires and wheels and different brands i mean you could have hundreds of different choices just in the single size tire that you have on your car so hey, when you started this business in 1984 how many uh how many, sets of, <laughs> how many different sizes of tires did you stock so let's give you let's 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 roll back let's roll back 37 38 years and let's talk about this in 1984 when serena and i started the automotive service center we purchased about five sets of tires that covered, I'm going to say, 80 to 90% of the cars out there. There was two or three sizes of 15-inch. There was maybe one or two sizes of 14-inch tires. And then there was, and that's the size of the wheel. Um, that's what determines with that. And then there was maybe, there's starting to be 13-inch. But, man, we we would ha- we were able to cover a vast majority of cars on the road, trucks included, with a few different sizes. Now we my, have... My golf cart has 14-inch tires <laughs> on it. Yeah, I probably had cars uh, that had smaller tires than your golf cart, so we'll, we'll be honest <laughs> with that. So, um, But yeah, that has changed drastically. I mean, the tire business... Here's one thing that's interesting with the tire business is um, modern automobiles, as I talked in an earlier segment, will last three, four hundred, five hundred thousand miles. Tires really haven't kept up with that, especially with all-wheel drive vehicles, front-wheel drive vehicles, four-wheel drive vehicles. I mean, the the tire is not increased three to four times in the in the length of uh, yeah. um, uh, the way a vehicle lasts and stuff. So there's a whole bunch of different things. In all-wheel drive vehicle, you should never replace one or two tires. You should always replace all four because there's power sent to every wheel and the thickness of the tire has to be equal. Um, and, and just a tire halfway worn out is, is massively different. It'll cause uh, permanent negative damage to uh, things in your vehicle, but getting back to the traction side of it and stuff. So depending on the parts of country that you live in, whether it's rainy, wintry, a mixture of both, we have all season tires, we have, you know, summer tires only and stuff, but there's major differences. And then here's the real quirky thing about tires also. And then we talk about this. We measure tires in 32nd of an inch. Which is just plain stupid. <laughs> 100%. Everybody that has a tape measure or has built anything in their house or did any type of whatever, you never measure things in 32nd of an inch. Yet the tire manufacturers in their infinite wisdom have decided we're going to say a new tire is 12 30 seconds of an inch. Well, I don't, I've been in it my whole life. I don't know what a, do, Tony, do you know what a 32nd of an inch is? I know a saw blade's usually an eighth of an inch. Well, yeah. So, so that's what uh, four times uh, uh, to get to a 132nd. I mean, and, and the stupid thing too is they never start out at 32 30 seconds. Like, like it never starts out at a it 100%. No. <laughs> it always starts out, you know, way less in, in everything. So, I mean, I have mud tires on my Tundra, and and they start out at sixteen thirty seconds. Well, that's only fifty percent. 
yeah. you know, and, and so when you're trying to talk to people, it, I, I'm, I'm proud of you on the math because you did hit 50% yeah, yeah, of that. That's, that's, that's Bremen, that Bremen high school education is working for me. That got you right on, but you're right, Tony, they measure that way. So the old thing too was, uh, your tires need replaced. If you took a penny and stuck it with Lincoln's head in there and you could still see his head, then, then they're, uh, okay or not okay. But, uh, I think that my generation thing. doesn't even use pennies anymore. Yeah. Penny is a is the uh, smallest coin in in the United States, but gotcha. people don't use it too much. It's usually in that little bin at the checkout counter when and when people throw their extra stuff in it because they don't want them. But anyhow, getting back to traction, getting back to tires, make sure that you get to a service center that really can dial you in and point you in the right direction with you know the brand of tires and the traction and the life expectancy because everybody wants a good priced tire, but you may want longevity and traction and stuff. And here's one thing I'll give you a good, good tip here. Good rider downer. The longer the tire lasts is also increases in traction value and overall ride value. So you can't buy a cheap tire that maybe only lasts 30,000 miles. that also rides really well and gives you a great traction. Well, it doesn't, they don't go together. So you have to buy maybe let's say a Michelin that lasts for 80,000 miles to also get the best ride and the best traction. But I want to share with you one thing. Um, you can turn in a leased car with about 530 seconds of tread, Tony. Is that yeah. about right? So, so and a new tire on a car probably starts at 10 or 12, 30 seconds on average. You can turn a car in with that and still turn it in with a lease without getting dinged on your lease or have to put a tires on that. But I want you to think about the difference in traction between a brand new tire and a five thirty seconds tire. And Tony, I think there was a story a few years ago coming out of Chicago, coming back to Indiana, that you got to experience five thirty second tire. Here. Yeah, it, well, it needs to go there. It's it scared the heck out of me as a dad. <laughs> I think it scared the heck out of everybody. It's Southwest Airlines' fault. So <laughs> we cannot we cannot uh, call out name brands of things. So, okay. Some airline named Southwest had multiple delays because of an airplane issue in St. Louis <laughs> for a transfer. So that made me land in Chicago, like four hours late in the middle of a downpouring monsoon. And so I'm pulling the toll road back to uh, come back to Indiana. And for everybody, the toll road is the 80, 90 interstate that goes through Illinois, Indiana, Pennsylvania it goes all the way to the West Coast or East what, Coast. I don't know East what Coast. the road's name is. It's it goes whatever. east to west coast, Tony. Yeah, it's whatever pulls up on my GPS. Here's another problem with with the millennials. GPS versus the we had a good friend in the old days. We used to take on trips. You know what his name was? I don't remember. His name was Randy McNally. Yeah. He had a map. It was the thing we would pull out and we would look at where we're going. Randy was a very small person that fit in the seat back pocket. <laughs> yes, so. he was. And it's technically Rand McNally. I know that. But we, yeah. we, we nicknamed him in our family, Randy McNally. Yeah. Well, and, and, and of course, Randy McNally turned into Tom Tom. So, yeah. To <laughs> and Tom Tom's not even around no, anymore. Tom Tom's so. gone too. So now your iPhone does everything for you. Yes, Anyways, sir. so I'm coming back on the 8090 toll road in where the transition happens from Illinois to Indiana uh, starts to switch from concrete to blacktop. Well, I had hydroplaned a couple times. I was driving a 2015 Toyota Avalon. Three um, years old at that time. Yeah. 36,000 miles. Yeah, I think this was, no. it was October. Um, um, and 
I think we had to turn the lease in in November. And it was Tony's mom's car and she got a new yep. car and he drove that over to the airport yeah. a couple hours away from where we live. Yeah. And they, you know, so really good car, really nice car, front wheel drive car, um, um, you know, should have everything equipped to be able to keep you safe, which it did long story short there. Um, but I'm coming back and I hydroplaned a couple of times. I actually slowed down, which is unheard of for me. That's a shocker so, right here. So don't, I was, don't see I, that. I had slowed down to under 50 miles an hour. Another, um, another shocker. Yeah. On the toll road. And I was in the fast lane all the way in the left lane because I moved over because there was a semi all the way in the right lane, right where it goes from two lanes to three lanes and, and kind of, or maybe four lanes to three lanes. It, it either condenses or expands right there. Um, I got further away from the semi because I was like, I didn't want the water splashing up on the windshield, which we've all experienced that and stuff. So I get over the car starts. Uh, I, I'm in that lane for a little while and stuff going straight. And the car starts to hydroplane. And I know most people know the experience of some hydroplaning. I know most people, if they don't know that experience, they know the experience of sliding on ice or just losing traction in general. Um, and when the car started a hydroplane, I started to try to correct it, having driven cars and slid cars around tracks and stuff like that. I tried to drive out of it um, with the, the accelerator and feathering the pedal and that type of stuff. Um, your, your brakes activate and your brakes uh, uh, will, will do ABS pulsation, but there's nothing really for the accelerator pedal. Hey, cut to the chase. Let's go. Let's get to the punchline. Well, I put the car underneath the back of the semi trailer. So, <laughs> so as I'm underneath the semi trailer, I had already hunched over because I didn't think I wanted to uh, lose my head to the semi trailer. So I had curled myself around the, the center console of the car. And I do distinctly remember looking up out the passenger window and just seeing tires of the semi trailer spinning. And uh, fortunately for me, I didn't go all the way underneath the semi-trailer and out the other side. For some reason, the, the car rotated back around and spit me back out the same way I came in towards the median. Um, and I was able to get the car stopped slightly before the median being shook up and not thinking. Then I never put the car in park and I actually ran into the median then. So don't tell our insurance company that. Um, but uh, it ended up doing because we had 530 seconds to tread on this on this car it ended up doing like $25,000 worth of damage to this car took out both front fenders the hood the front bumper uh the passenger front door the passenger rear door the passenger rear quarter panel rear bumper trunk lid um everything that way most people would say well the airbags probably saved you not a single airbag deployed on this car because of how it hit so it hit the A-pillar and across the windshield and pushed the windshield. Tony, Tony, this car, an A-pillar is that post between the side window and the front windshield. And most a car like this has airbags in there. It has them in the door. It has them in the dash. It has all these airbags. Yeah, and the like way 14 that they, airbags. Yeah, and the way that car hit, because it was only three years old at that time, not one of those went off in that in that specific situation the, the plastic panels for the a pillars were hanging down on both sides and i could see the back side of the airbag <laughs> where they were hanging down yeah um i had grabbed the steering wheel so tight at some point in time which i don't even remember this 
um, grabbing it so tight, trying to turn it that I actually concave the steering wheel um, and bent the steering wheel inward and everything so i think, I think tony's bsing on this part but we'll, we'll go with it it's your story yeah <laughs> not not what you said at copart when we went to get the parts out get the uh, uh stuff out of the car that was there you asked what happened to the steering wheel so yeah but um you it, know it's a it, it's an honest story though and and i and i often think back to it uh for everybody out there is is i didn't put tires on that car because my wife got a new car and we were turning it in on lease a month later and i i I often think about how close it may have cost uh, me uh my son's life um and it it really hit home because when you go to your service center here's what happens we give you if you have a digital inspection or a, a paper written one we do green yellow red so we mark down green that they're really great yellow that they're close to needing replace and red that are bad so tony in our shops um honestly uh, that tire what would we mark in our shop uh after that experience and everything we've started marking those in the red which yeah. some people may call super aggressive in, in everything as far as trying to push tires or sell you tires however having experienced that i don't want anybody else to experience that and i know that that tire had i had a better tire on that car that probably would not have happened or honestly with my my driving experience and the skill that I have driving wise, I probably could have straightened that car back out and maybe ended up one lane over, but never ended up making contact with that semi trailer. So the point goes with, and what Tony's sharing with you, a tire's job is to dissipate the water underneath it. It's to, it's to uh, shove it out the side, shove it out the back, whatever, to keep that tire in contact with the, with the pavement just as much as a, a, a strut on your car. We don't have shock absorbers much anymore on vehicles. We have struts. And its job is to keep that tire pushed down and planted firmly on the pavement. And when a tire gets this thin, it just doesn't, it doesn't have full contact. Water gets in between the, the pavement and the tire, and then it causes a hydroplane and ended up with Tony slamming into the side of this uh, semi-trailer. Um, so as you're looking at that, as you're going to your service centers, always remember, you know, um, same with brakes, honestly, you know, brakes at 30, 40% remaining are not going to work near as efficiently as brakes that are brand new. Uh, tires are the same way. So just always understand that regardless, it, it's, it's how you want to service your car and maintain your car. Uh, we always talk in our, uh, in our shops, this, we only provide two things for our customers, safety and reliability and those are what we want to make sure i want that for my daughter i want that for my wife my whoever in my family my loved ones that's what we want to provide and this is uh uh you know this is really you know what we try to do in our shop so that's just a little story well, about the tire side but in the safety and reliability and taking care of your loved ones brings up another point in stuff and it wasn't really this case for me at this point in time i was an adult already had children and stuff like that with with this instance but you know a lot of times I hear people talk about their their story of their first car and what a what a jalopy it was or piece of junk or or whatever that way and stuff. But in the modern age of of cars and where we're at with things and stuff, with drivers driving a lot more, young drivers driving a lot more, and young drivers 
we're in a transition period where young drivers aren't getting their driver's license right at 16 years old. A lot of kids aren't getting it until right at the end of high school, going into college, so on and so forth. You really should be putting these kids or these younger drivers into either one, some type of a driving school or driving class, in addition to driver's education. So um, uh, Tire Rack has a great program that I know that we've put uh, my brother and sister in uh, that teaches you how to handle a car with little to no traction, how to slide a car, how to... Uh, if you get in an accident, if you hit a deer, uh, whatever, how to keep the car on the road. Um, so there's a great driving course that is put on nationwide from from Tire Rack, the, large, the world's largest uh, tire vendor. Um, the other thing to think about, too, is is putting your kid in a safer car. So I, I see a lot of people put their child in the, the leftover, you know, 10, 12, 15-year-old car, 20-year-old car that has no ABS or no uh, uh, electronic stability control, no traction control, and, and stuff like that. And, and that, to an unskilled driver, we as parents know how to drive a car in that scenario because we've been driving for 10, 15, 20 years. But those the, our younger children that we care so much about and everything that we would do anything for, we put in these old junky cars that maybe you didn't put the tie rod end on or you didn't replace something because you didn't want to put money into that car so really think about that is is your parenting uh and and stuff which i'm gonna have to really think about that hard when my uh, twins become a driving age (laughs) you got you got a whole bunch of that time uh, yeah i get to buy two cars at one time not not uh one well and i'll i'll finish this segment uh with this is tony's right we take our you know most of us parents we love and care for our children so much and uh but what we do is we we say well i'm going to hand my car down to my 16 year old and i'm going to get a new car so here's what we do parents and i'm a parent three three children uh four grandchildren now fifth on the way so but here's what we do we take our least experienced driver 16 years old 17 whenever they get their license and we put them in the oldest piece of crap we have and then we wonder why we have problems. <laughs> so uh, Tony's right. I mean, we we drive the the brand new car with ABS and traction control and lane departure and all these other things. Yet we put that uh, that new uh, young driver in this car like that. So it's just something to think about, everybody out there. Um, a little little story, honest honest to God story of uh, you know something that happened in our family and a tire that really still had almost fifty percent of tread wear that uh caused this uh this accident so that's our that's our tip on that one i'm gonna speak first okay go ahead always always the young guy wants to go first go ahead hey thanks for listening to our first podcast and everything um we have plenty more episodes coming to you uh mike you got anything to say you know, uh, again, thank you for joining us on our first podcast. This is a father and son team. It's an amazing experience to uh, be partners with my son in our automotive service centers. And we just want to talk to you about a lot of fun things about automobiles. It's been Tony and I's pleasure to join you on this podcast and, and uh, get ready for our next one. Everyone knows oil needs to be changed often, but how many other car fluids need regular maintenance? Find out next time on From the Glove Box. This podcast is brought to you by TMT Automotive and Momentum Drives Marketing.